But I want to begin by reading the um, epistle lesson from Colossians. So listen for the word of the Lord. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from this glorious power so that you may have all endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace. By making peace through the blood of His cross. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today we are celebrating Christ the King Sunday. It's basically uh, a hinge on a gate from all of these Sundays after Pentecost, and now we're swinging our attention into Advent 1. This is the final Sunday of the Christian calendar. Christ the King Sunday is a punctuation mark. Next week, we begin a brand new liturgical year with Advent and with hanging of the greens. But Christ the King Sunday, um, whereas Advent and Epiphany and Eastertide Lent are ancient uh, liturgical seasons. Christ the King Sunday is not that old. It's less than 100 years old. But its, its story, its history is quite telling. Because in 1925, between two great world wars, after the war, First World War in 1918, the war to end all, all wars, the world wasn't exactly peaceful. The world was in tumult, chaos, you started to see rise the rise of evil. Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini. You started to see poverty. You started to see hunger spread throughout the world. Secularism, as some scholars say, was increasing daily. So into this political climate in the 1920s, Pope Pius XI said, we need a liturgical feast day to resist tyranny. All of these so-called czars and kaisers and lords, they're no kings at all. Christ, Christ alone is king. Christ alone is worthy of our praise. And so here we are. Nearly a hundred years later, tyranny continues, chaos continues, uncertainty continues, fear pervades, there's still hunger, there's still famine, there's still disease, there's still plagues, uh, and we could get so bogged down in that, except we're the church. It's our role to proclaim that Christ is King. My question over the next few brief minutes is twofold. What kind of King is Jesus? Does all this regal language, does it bother us? Do we understand it? I mean, we sort of were formed as a resistance movement to a monarchy. 
What kind of king is Jesus? What does it mean to make Jesus king of our lives? And so Paul gives us, the early Christian church, this high and and lofty image that Christ is firstborn of of all things. He's before everything. He is uh, both visible and invisible. He is high and mighty and transcendent and cosmic. And so Paul makes us look upwardly because the image that we're likely to have of Jesus Christ is too small. So Paul says, look up and see that this story of which you are a part is much bigger than any one of us. The gospel with which this epistle is is paired is a familiar one. I didn't read it for that reason, but it's the crucifixion of Jesus. So it's a strange one too at the last on the last Sunday of the year. There hangs Jesus in Luke's gospel between two criminals. One who represents the past. You know, he's done all these things. He saved all these people, so he says. He has that sign, King of the Jews, let him save himself and save us. And then on the other side is is the one looking at the future saying, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So somewhere between the past and somewhere between the future, somewhere between being mocked and somewhere between being heralded and recognized and praised, there stands Jesus. Isn't that our story? That Jesus stands right in the middle of the good moments and the bad moments, the highs and the lows, just kind of plants his feet. In this case, he has holes in his feet and in his hands. And so what we're reading about and thinking about on Christ the King is this this king who would leave his throne and, and come to earth for a very unusual kind of a coronation, one that did not include a crown of jewels, but a crown of thorns. One that did not include a throne at all, but two pieces of wood nailed together and he was hoisted for the world to see. We have this exalted Christ and this humiliated Christ. Who is this King Jesus? And who is King Jesus for you? What does it mean to proclaim with our lives that Christ is King? And maybe even more specific, that to confess Christ with our King is King with our lips is only one part. To confess that Christ is King of our whole lives is is to take that which is inward and to make it outward as a visible sign so the world will know through our time and our talents, our our treasures, our relationships, our, our words, by our showing up, that Christ is King of our lives. And there is no king but Jesus. To say that Christ is king professes that other kings are not in fact kings, although we know so clearly that the world's kings beg us to worship them. There's king spending and king idleness and king materialism and king addiction and king ego and and king money making and king anger and king shame and king apathy and king guilt and king indifference and king pride and king control and they're all asking us to bend a knee of loyalty to them to give them our time and our our, our mental capacity and our emotions and and everything that that makes us tick What kings do you have in your life that are preventing you from seeing that Christ is the only king? We pray every week 
your kingdom come. What do we mean by that? How do we know it when we see it? Well, our king, what our king requires is different. Our king requires us to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Our king requires faith over fear and hope over hate and joy over jealousy and love over loathing. Our king's kingdom is seen when people serve. When they say, my king came to be to serve, not to be served. So our king is found in different places, on the streets with the hungry and impoverished people and dining rooms and homes of, of sinners. We see and read about him taking up time with prostitutes and forgiving embezzlers and adulterers and weeping over his zip code and caring for people who have a lack of hope and a lack of food and a lack of clothing and a lack of freedom. And if we look there, that's where we will find Jesus Christ the king. Christ chooses to reign in, in those places and then he just waits for the church to show up. He waits for us to find the places in our own souls where we are hungered, we are starving, we are impoverished for meaning and for, and for answers and all it is because we have way too many priorities in our lives. We just need that one thing, to profess Christ as king. Conveniently, today is also Commitment Sunday. Maybe providentially, of all years, Christ the King Sunday is Commitment Sunday. What we're going to do in just a few moments is, is make an outward statement that Christ is King in our lives. We don't have all the answers. There's certainly more fear and chaos than we, we care, and I certainly know there's, there's fear among the flock right now, but that's precisely who the cosmic Christ broke into this world to save and to rescue and to redeem, and continues to do so again and again and again. So how is Christ the King in, in our lives will be determined by the signs we commit to God and, and to one another, the pledges we make to pray for our church and to be present as often as possible, to give our tithes and offerings and entrust those to the church to multiply, to feed thousands more than we can on our own, to serve the needy and, and to witness, to witness to our faith by sharing our story. And let me just say, the church needs you now more than ever, and you need the church now more than ever. Today is about family and the future and a faith declaration and forging ahead without fear. Can I get a witness to that? Because there's a different way to which we as God's people are called. It's the way of Jesus, who though in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We sacrifice a little bit of ourselves for the sake of God's kingdom. 
Our series entitled, Can I Get a Witness, concludes today. And the punctuation mark for that series is one of the most inspirational people I know in my entire life. My friend, Philip Bryan, comes now to testify to Christ being king in his life. Philip, thank you for coming to share.